Oh, thank you so much, Charles and Meg. You are so gifted in leading worship, and it's so good to worship together today. Uh, just a reminder, as we've been doing all the different weeks, please uh, take a picture and post it on social media. Show your family, your friends, the chapel family that you're watching, and who knows, maybe they will watch as well. Uh, we're doing this message series called From the Cross, looking at the last words of Jesus. And as we kick things off today, I just want to ask you a question. What comes to mind when you think of the words church or religion or Jesus? For some of you who may call yourself Christ followers, I'm assuming there's a good word picture in your mind. Maybe for you, you're thinking of great church experiences that you've had as a family. Maybe you're thinking about the times where you've been able to encourage a friend in his or her faith. Or maybe you're thinking of the times of when you got to pray and read the scriptures and really felt God's intimate presence in your life. And I wish that everyone had that picture of God. But I know that a lot of people don't. And maybe that's you. For you, when I said those words, maybe you have a negative picture of God. For you, you're thinking of how you've been disappointed by the church or you've been hurt by Christ followers. Or maybe for you, you're looking around the world and you're thinking, okay, all the things that are happening, how could there be a God and how could he be good? I understand if that's you. Or maybe for you, you're in a whole different category. Maybe for you, you're apathetic when it comes to God. You're disinterested when it comes to God. You're not angry, but at the same time, you don't have a relationship with Him. Maybe you are familiar with the Bible, but you don't read it. Maybe you pray when things are hard, but other than that, you don't pray. Maybe you uh, left church and you haven't been back in a while. It's not that you don't believe God exists, you just don't have a relationship with Him. The story we're going to share with you today, whether you're a Christ follower, whether you're an atheist, whether you're an agnostic, wherever you are, when it comes to your faith in Christ, I really believe it's going to encourage you, but also challenge you like never before to think differently about hope and unconditional love. Yeah, so as we continue this series, uh, looking at these final words of Jesus from the cross, uh, today we want to look at an incredible interaction that is life-altering uh, for Jesus and for this criminal, uh, probably one of the most unlikely people to ever put their faith in Jesus. And we want to look at it kind of in two parts. The first part is, is what happens in Luke chapter 23, verses 32 through 33. And look at what it says. Two others, both criminals, were led out to be executed with him. And when they came to the place called the skull, they nailed him to the cross, and the criminals were also crucified, one on his right and one on his left. Now, the gospel writer Luke, he tells us that Jesus wasn't alone in this crucifixion, that there were these other two criminals there that were being crucified with him. And yet, unlike Jesus, these men were guilty as charged. They were getting what was coming to them. While Jesus had lived a perfect life, they had lived horrible lives probably violent lives. They deserved what they were getting. And the gospel writer Mark adds something else to the story. It tells us a little bit more about these two criminals. In Mark chapter 15, verse 32, it says that even the men that were crucified with Jesus ridiculed him. 
both of these guys that were next to him, they didn't recognize him as the savior of the world. They didn't believe he was God in the flesh. They didn't believe that he was uh, the Messiah. And instead, they spend their last dying breaths ridiculing Jesus. But then something else happened, something incredible. Even though these criminals and then those who crucified Jesus continue to ridicule Jesus, Jesus speaks. And this would have been very difficult because as he was on the cross, he would have been dying from asphyxiation. He literally was choking to death. But somehow he choked out these words about those who put him on the cross. He says in Luke 23, verse 34, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. Jesus is on the cross, and you would expect him, at least I would, to say to the Father, repay these guys. These guys are the ones that killed me. They don't believe in me. Make sure they get it. But Jesus doesn't do that. He literally forgives those who killed him. Who does that? It would have been shocking, to say the least, and people who would have been watching the situation would have really thought differently about Jesus. How do I know that? Because one person's view of Jesus was completely changed when he heard Jesus forgive his enemies. Look what happens to the two criminals. Luke chapter 23, verses 39 and 41 through 41. One of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed. So you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. But the other criminal protested. Don't you fear God even when you have been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes. But this man hasn't done anything wrong. The other criminal, he continues to mock Jesus and ridicule Jesus. He still sees Jesus in the same light as he did when he was first crucified. But this other criminal, he sees Jesus in a new light. Not only does he recognize his innocence, but he recognizes that he will forgive anyone. And so as the criminal himself is dying from asphyxiation. He's about to take his last breaths. What does he do? He doesn't ridicule Jesus anymore. He cries out to Jesus. He looks to Jesus for a second chance at life. And here's what he says. Luke chapter 23, verse 41. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. This is why we call this person the most unlikely believer in the Bible. He goes from calling Jesus names to calling out to Jesus for forgiveness. But that really begs a question. I mean, should Jesus forgive him? I mean, after all that this guy has done, he's getting what's coming from him. Uh, he had just been ridiculing Jesus in one moment, calling him his names, and now he's just calling out to Jesus thinking, oh, now I can get forgiveness. Now I can get my get-out-of-jail card. I can have eternal life if I just turn to him. And I wrestle with that. I don't know about you. It seems completely unfair. What kind of God would just 
forgive? Where's God's righteousness? Where's God's judgment? Well, God's righteousness and, and God's judgment, it was about to be poured out on Jesus. And Jesus is the kind of Savior that would offer forgiveness at the most critical moments when this person could do nothing for themselves just because he calls out to him. And look at what Jesus says in response to this man's cry out to him. Luke 23, verse 43, And Jesus replied, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. Unbelievable. That word paradise in its original form, it's really the same word that's used to describe the very Garden of Eden. So when Jesus says these words, he's really saying to this man, he's pointing back to a, a time, a place, a point, uh, a position really, where humanity had a direct relationship with God, an intimate love relationship, a friendship with God uh, that every human being is longing for. This is the paradise that Jesus is now promising this thief on the cross. It wasn't just a place that he would go to. It was his very position before God. You know what that is? That's grace. Grace is God doing for us what we could never do for ourselves. And this is the kind of grace that Jesus offers the criminal on the cross next to him. Of all the stories in scripture, this is my favorite by far. Because if you are a believer in Jesus, you know that God would do whatever it takes to have a relationship with you. He literally forgives somebody right before they both take their last breaths. That is hope. That is grace. That is love. It shows us the kind of God that is really the God of the Bible, the God of Christianity, the God who has come to where we are at to have a relationship with us. If you are a Christ follower, would that inflame your heart and soul with more hope? At the beginning, I, I also addressed two other people, two kinds of people, I should say, those who would call themselves atheists, those who don't believe in God, and then those who would call themselves agnostics, those who would say, hey, maybe God is out there, but I don't have a relationship with Him for whatever reason. Again, I, I can't stress enough, I understand why you believe the way you do. I really do. I, I'm not here to force my belief on you and I, the chapel. That's not what we do. But I will tell you that if you do have maybe a wrong view of God based upon how our cultures portrayed him, based upon what people like me have portrayed him, based upon your church experience, whatever your view of God is, all I ask for you to do is to put that view up of who God is and put it next to the God on the cross who would forgive anyone, even if it's their very last breath. That's the kind of God of the Bible. So I can't go through the proofs of how I know God exists, but if I look at Jesus, I see three things. I see the goodness of God. I see God's incredible kindness and goodness and faithfulness doing for us what we can never do for ourselves. 
He didn't have to leave heaven, but he chose to, to have a relationship with us. What an amazing God that we have. And then the forgiveness of God. I don't know about you. I remember when I heard about Jesus for the first time and I looked at my life. I was desperate for a God that would truly forgive me. I needed to be absolved for all the things that I have done and that weight was heavy. Sometimes I would notice it, other times I wouldn't, but it was always there. And when God forgave me, a weight lifted off me, knowing not only would I have a place in paradise, I would also have a passion and a mission and a purpose here to show other people about that God. He will forgive anything you've done, and I mean anything. But the third thing, the thing that really helps me understand God is when you and I think of God, oftentimes we think, if there is a God, what must I do to have a relationship with Him? Do I need to be a good person? Do I need to tip the scales in my favor so that when I go to heaven someday and St. Peter's outside the gates, He will let me in based upon what I've done? That narrative is thrown out the window. You and I were not good enough. The criminal wasn't good enough. But Jesus is. And he forgives everything because he is so good. So may you rest in the fact that Jesus loves you right where you're at. And if you call out to him, he will forgive you. That's right. His promise to all of us that if we'll call out to him at the end of our days, his promise to us is today you will then see me in paradise that it'll provide us a hope for all of this life and a hope for all of eternity. Not based upon what we've done, but only based upon what Jesus has first done for us. This is the message of the cross. Would you pray with me? God, thank you. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his righteousness, his perfection, and that he would die a criminal's death in my place because of my shortcomings, my faults, my sins. Thank you that the way that he expressed love and compassion and grace in the final moments of his life for the final moments of another person's life, that, God, we see in you this beautiful picture of forgiveness and grace that is not just offered to the criminal on the cross, but it's offered to every single one of us. And so, Jesus, today, help us from wherever we are, turn to you, crying out to you for your forgiveness, and may we experience your perfect peace that comes when we put our faith and hope in you. We we worship you. We thank you. And it's in Jesus' name that we ask all these things. Amen. Amen.